I turn these phones up a bit? Fucking ring. Oh, now it's too loud, man. Yeah, well, it... Uh, oh, oh, I can't hear anything. Who do you reckon that's an impression of? Cosby? Broadcasting live from Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Welcome. Wo- I went over a little jump there. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Welcome aboard Thank for you. another episode Thank of you. Beef Thank Station. You. Of course, our movie podcast where every week we review a, a new movie, an old classic or some sort of listener suggestion in between. Uh, this From week, one or the other of our man caves in <laughs> Canberra. <laughs> That's it. Whoa. Have we revealed that they're caves? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, from the underground grottos of... Uh, <laughs> uh, this week we are doing a listener suggestion from friend of the show, Fiona, mm. <laughs> who uh, suggested that we do a Russian drama from 2014 <laughs> called Leviathan. <laughs> Still haven't quite worked out whether this suggestion was a prank or not. But, but all right, <laughs> Fiona, this one's for you. <laughs> Oh, yeah? You want us to watch a two and a half hour long Russian drama with music by Philip Glass? You're on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. To be fair, I'd actually been watching... Joke's on you, Fiona. (laughs) (laughs) Bluff called. The only thing we've lost is our valueless time. (laughs) Um... Yeah, there's no way she's listening to it. But uh, no, I've been meaning to I'd watch like to this think one. If she's listening to any of them, she's listening to this one, considering it's the one that she specifically requested. I stand by my previous statement. Uh, so this fucking thing was selected to compete for the Palm d'Or in the main competition at 2014 Cannes Film Festival. So it's no, no, no. it's the Palm d'Or. It's a, yeah. it's a big rock with palm sugar rubbed it's on it. It's the Palm d'Or. <laughs> I reckon we can get three more pronunciations out. <laughs> the Golden Front, or whatever the fuck it is, um, from the Cannes Film Festival. And it was showing at Palace back then. I reckon it's probably French so for Palm d'Or anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just means Palm d'Or. Um, it's, it's actually a woman named Pam d'Or. Okay, I'm done. Uh, the Yeah, I'd been meaning to see it. Uh, it's French for Apples of the Door. <laughs> <laughs> it's French for golden hand. Okay. Uh now you go. Right. No, I did I I've did a f- been meaning to watch this <laughs> for a while. And I can't sorry, wait to talk about sorry, it with t- my best buddy Oscar. Do you mean you you mean we need to watch this? Are you talking about your tone? <laughs> <laughs> Um, 2014 Russian drama. Meaning to watch the ground rushing <laughs> up at me in a second. <laughs> Directed by, oh God, Andre Zyagnetsev. <laughs> don't help. I don't need help. Sorry. Hold on. <clears throat> I got to get into character. Business or pleasure. <laughs> Business or pleasure. Leviathan is a 2014 Russian drama film directed by Andre Zyagnetsev. Oscar's I Russian. Oscar's it. Russian coach. Get off the <laughs> mic. Oscar, Andre say it. Zvangachev. <laughs> Directed by our friend Andre. Oh, Putin's <laughs> mad at you. <laughs> Zvangachev. 
You watch Chernobyl? <laughs> Zvergintsev. Yeah. I did watch Chernobyl. Zvergintsev. Yeah, well, this, this motherfucker wasn't a nuclear scientist, so forgive me for not knowing how to pronounce <laughs> his name. Um, yeah, so directed by that person. Andre. Uh, Andre. 2014. No, it's Andrew, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <coughs> yeah, it's starring a bunch of Russian people who you haven't heard of either. <laughs> and starring Alexei, Roman, Vladimir, Elena, <laughs> Sergei, Anna, Igor, and Margarita. We can do first names. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it's kind of about yeah this uh this dude who built his house and the local mayor of the house wants to demolish the house. Yeah, it's basically about this this normal everyday Russian <laughs> worker dude. It's about a normal dude, just a normal guy, totally normal. <laughs> Everything's normal about him. <laughs> um, Built a normal house in a normal place <laughs> with a normal mayor, <laughs> but it's Russian. <laughs> uh, yes, and um, uh, yeah, it's basically just about this normal dude that's getting fucked by the system at every turn. Normally, and it's sort of like <laughs> it's missionary. <laughs> The most normal of them all. <laughs> the normal one. <laughs> is it not? I guess it oh is. Oh, God. What's worse? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, it, it, it's, so it's it's kind of like a... I don't know. The film's kind of... Expo- the film's kind of like showing out the corruption of the Russian state in the yeah. modern day. And it's also kind of showing the, like the decay... Of like the Russian economy and the the Russian the Russian Cold War time power structures and yeah and how that sort of fallen from fallen from its sort of golden era a little bit yeah um I was reading some reviews online that were talking about how it's also kind of mirroring the struggles of the biblical character Job mm-hmm. who is sort of put through all these trials and tribulations by God in tests of his faith much in the same way as this guy is getting fucked over. We can talk about the film a bit later on, but this guy is like getting fucked over and doing his best to abide by. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's like, this guy, guy, um, uh, Collier is doing his best to like go through all the legal processes he can to save his property. Yeah. And he's getting fucked by the system at every turn, despite him trying to rigorously have faith in the system and follow the system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's some kind of biblical parallels there that are interesting. We can talk about it later though. For the moment though, we'll start off with some, uh, some other olds. Some olds. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, we're doing a bit of news, aren't we? Well, there's always news, Oscar. Beef bulletin. I expect we have heaps of news this week. Yes. Let's see what Oscar has to say. Back to you, Oscar. How are your improv skills, buddy? Oh god. Uh, yes, and uh, Robert De Niro is starring. Blocking, <laughs> Robert De Niro is starring in this new Martin Scorsese film called The Irishman. Called Casino. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. The Irishman. I heard about this. Mm-hmm. Um, they live near Britain, and it's 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 a mob film. Just to <laughs> just for something a bit different, Mad a Martin Scorsese mob film starring Joe Pesci and Al Pacino and yeah, Robert De Niro and all that. Um, that goes over several years, okay, um, decades in fact. And so they're experimenting with this uh, 
anti... Richard that, Linklater like, wrote the script or <laughs> Funny you say. Um, no, he's experimenting with oh, these, like, yeah. de-aging techniques and, like, technology to make sure that Robert De Niro can be playing the 24-year-old and the 80-year-old oh, and everything I thought in between. you meant that the storyline was that cl- a mobster <laughs> was messing with de-aging <laughs> techniques. So I was like, what a the mo- fuck? This is a mad change of pace. Why does he need to be in the mob? Involved <laughs> in a pyramid scheme selling ointment to single moms. Yes, because he's like, it's a sci-fi, but he's <laughs> still in the mob. <laughs> Space mob. Yes. Um, well, it says here that um, Scorsese and De Niro did a test reel of their um, de-aging technology by reshooting shot for shot one of the scenes from the Goodfellas film. Oh, yeah. To see if it compares. Um, as far as I know... How'd it turn out? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think Pretty they've good, actually fellas. posted the scene online anywhere. Damn. But <laughs> so the story is, I suppose, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro did a couple tests, looked at it, and went, yep, that looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean... Uh, cool. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. It is kind of cool. I'm sure it'll I'm be not more the biggest Scorsese. It. Yeah, exactly. I'm not the biggest Scorsese fan, but fuck, uh, De Niro... Not De Niro. Um, Iron Man? Danny, Danny Jr. Jr. looked so good when they did the de-aging tech on him for whatever the Iron Man or... Well, now that they can deep-fake people, people it's like, yeah, Yeah, sure, that's crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Like, in the last six months or so, like, I wonder if they did the DiCaprio Great Escape from the Tarantino. I wonder if that was, like, deep-fake stuff. I feel like it was his whole body, but also, like, like, you like never know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought he looked... I thought he looked the same. No, it looked... It, it looked like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Oh. Right, but like I thought, I, I I thought they just like imprinted his and he's a bit bigger, his whole body, <laughs> just, just like yeah. how they did the Taron Egerton thing for that. Yeah, um, exactly. Elton yeah. John music video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except that looked fucked. Yeah, that looked awful. <laughs> no um, good. Uh, uh, a little bit more news about this Obi Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series. Oh yeah. Um, he is going to be playing Obi Wan eight years after Revenge of the Sith. Um, I'm all in, man. I think that that'll, okay. so that's eight years after episode three. three. Um, I'm all in. I think it'll be exciting because I think that's one of the most interesting um, bits of the Star Wars canon is like between episode three and episode four where he's like an old hermit. Like, what yeah. did he do for all that time? Was he? <laughs> what if the series really just is like Obi-Wan just sitting in a cave for Discovered Twitter and yeah. <laughs> just poking his head up being like, yep, Luke's still alive. That's cool. the Star Wars equivalent of QAnon. <laughs> started doing all that shit. Well, I mean, like, um, Alec Guinness, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four, looks, like, 50 years older than Ewan <laughs> McGregor. <laughs> yeah. But Luke is only supposed to have aged 20 years yeah. from a baby to then. So I'm looking forward to, like, Ewan McGregor, like, smoking, like, an absolute chimney. <laughs> You're going to have to deep fake him to look fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, necking red meat and everything yeah. you can. Just be like, got to speed up this aging process as much as I possibly can. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Ewan McGregor's fucking great, man. Yeah, I he's think a that he was one of the best. Brilliant actor. He was one of the best bits about that. Um, about the prequels. Yep. Was Ewan McGregor? Well, it sure as hell wasn't Hayden Christensen. Ye- uh, hold on. Speaking of holding on. Yeah. No. See, there's a video of Flume eating ass at I Burning know. Man. <laughs> Did see that? <laughs> uh, there's a bit of news for you. Oh, <laughs> well, that's all the news I've got. Um, Guillermo, a uh, bit of Sorry, just snatching that last headline away from me. Yeah, no. Um, uh, how's this? Guillermo del Toro's new film. Well, he's going to be producing a film by Isa Lopez. 
who was the director of a film called Tiger's Not Afraid. Yeah, I saw that at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Any good? Yeah, good movie. Yeah. So the director yeah. of that film, Tiger's Not Afraid, her new film, her new film, his new film? I think it's her. Their new film is going to be a supernatural werewolf western. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is a change of pace. Yeah. Because Tigers Are Not Afraid is like a magical realist kind of thing where um, sometimes it's about like a group of orphan children yeah. and um, sometimes this orphan child imagines that there are things on the walls and stuff. Right. And the, uh, it's like questionable whether or not those have real impact or not. But it's nothing like that shit. So that'll be really Looking interesting to, to see. That's all I've got at the moment. But the fact, the fact that Guillermo del Toro is producing, I mean, producers, I suppose, often don't mean very much, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, there's been a whole bunch of critic feedback coming back for the new Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix. And yeah. some reasonably positive reception. Yeah. It apparently got like an eight-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. Wow. I heard that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood only got a seven-minute standing ovation. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Man, who's timing that? Probably Tarantino. Uh, yeah, I would say <laughs> a lot of publicists. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know whether the... I mean, maybe the Venice Film Festival is some fucking hack-ass film festival that gives everyone a standing ovation, mm. but... There you go. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. There was a piece here uh, a, with an interview from Joaquin Phoenix about how him playing the Joker sort of fucked him up a bit and he sort of felt himself going a little bit nuts as he was going a little bit um, sort of getting into the character mm. through filming, which is kind of like a spooky mirroring of Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger and how sort of cripplingly, cripplingly depressed he apparently was while playing that character. Yeah. Um, Walking Phoenix said that he sh- he shed like a significant amount of weight in 52 preparation. Puns. What's um, that in kgs? <laughs> don't know, mate. Fifty-two lbs to kg. That's twenty-three kilos. That's a shit. Actually, that's fucking heaps. That is heaps. Uh, yeah. Well I'm, done, Joaquin. I'm really looking forward to this film <laughs> this podcast ending oh <laughs> also yes but no <laughs> no looking forward to this film I'm sure it will be great yeah yeah I'm glad that it's been getting uh, like I saw I think it's got a Metacritic of like 75 and I was like oh well that's good enough because like I'm sure a bunch of the uh, that's enough variance to just be like yeah. well I personally didn't like this movie but then there are some people like a lot of people giving it like 10 out of 10 so yeah yeah I'm uh, I'm excited for it Um, a few little more teasers out about uh Edgar Wright's film last night in Soho, which is some horror film that has just finished shooting. It doesn't come out until September next year, though, so he's got like a year's worth yeah. of post-production to do on it. They've released a still from the film. But it's yeah, not can you imagine having to edit an Edgar Wright film? <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Make the cuts funnier. Make <laughs> it snappier. Yeah, fuck. Um, hey, just doing a normal, just a normal cut there, are you? Hey, <laughs> you going to... Why? I got an eight-minute video essay that explains why. <laughs> um, how's this it's alright Star Wars actor Mark Hamill says that the blue milk at Disney Disney theme parks Galaxy's Edge attraction is a lot more palatable, palatable than the original blue milk he drank in the Star Wars film <laughs> what <laughs> There's some, Mark heard, Hamill needs to start being escorted around <laughs> Before making public a, statements. He's having a sip of the blue milk. Also, Bantha milk in the Star Wars A New Hope. Wasn't he the one who was like, Luke's 
Luke's Luke fucked. Luke by fucked. The way. Yeah. yeah, Luke fucked his way around half the galaxy. Um, there's this like bluey, greeny milk, um, that he drinks. He in also drinks Last from Jedi like the cow tits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dog. the sea cow ones. <laughs> yeah, bro. what's with him? Just being like. I'm the big, milk's good. I'm a big fan of hobo milk drinking the, the yeah. <laughs> hobo Luke drinking that sea cow milk. It's yeah. good shit. Um, but you know, uh, Luke says that. Oh, not Luke. Uh, Mark Hamill <laughs> says that it's a lot more palatable. It's it's it tastes like a yummy fruit smoothie. So there you go. Great. Yeah. And he said that the original the original blue the original blue milk from the movie was long life milk with blue food coloring in it. Yeah. And it was an acting challenge to appear as though I enjoyed it. I suppose what I'm saying is that sort of news week this week. <laughs> and that the the um the, the takeaway here is that uh UHT milk from nineteen seventy with blue great. food coloring in it, which <laughs> if it was in America in the nineteen seventies, you don't know what the <laughs> fuck that food coloring was made out of. I think, yeah, I think uh, especially since I think like, like American milk is normally pretty fucked. It's just copper milk. oxide. We just <laughs> stirred copper into that. Drink up, Mark. <laughs> um uh final bit. Yeah, that scene where he's clinging onto the post at the top of the, like, in the exhaust pipes of Cloud City, and he's like, <laughs> that was actually just footage of him on the toilet green screen on there after he drank that. Um, the f- final bit of news here is about a new Richard Linklater film. Which oh, I foreshadowed. Uh, he's going to film a Stephen Sondheim musical, Merrily We Roll Along, not to be outdone by himself, over the course of the next 20 years. Yeah. Merrily We Roll Along is a story that takes place over 20 years, and he says that he uh, can't think of a better place to spend the next 20 years than in the world of a Sondheim musical. I personally think that sounds like some kind of fucking (laughs) Grecian torture. Yeah. (laughs) He wants to retire, and he said, no, I'm going to keep filming while I'm there. He's going to be on some sort of retainer for the next 20 years, filming a minute of a oh, God, yeah. every year for the next 20 years. What Fuck. happened to you in your musical this year? <laughs> I personally hope that he gets 15 years into it, like an un- <laughs> way too much of an investment, and then like loses the footage, or like half of the characters oh, yeah. die in yeah. some freak accident. Yeah. Or, like, it's bold of him to think that there will be another 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, baby. Mm. That's pretty much all the news I got, boy. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't want to surprise you, uh, listeners, but considering that we don't have very much news and the film we're covering is a Russian drama <laughs> from five years ago. No need to. All right. We don't need to see how the whole sausage is made, all right, with timestamps. <laughs> uh, we, we figured we'd squeeze in another one of our uh, patented, let's make fun of people with opinions online. Like squeeze out. <laughs> Speaking of how the sausages get made. Yeah. Uh, with a bit of... We figured r- we'd pinch off another segment. <laughs> with a bit of rate my meat. you got to enunciate that more, man. Ra- with a bit of rate my meat. <laughs> that, of course... The wet slap Ugh. signifying uh, our segment where we find reviews for well-known films on the internet. Uh, and get arrested for them. <laughs> <laughs> usually usually uh, strongly worded. <laughs> Opinionated <laughs> folks. And see if, if, I can, if we can read some reviews to each other, whether we, can, we, whether we might be able to guess what it is that these people on the internet are rapping on about. Yeah. Listen is, I imagine you probably... Yeah, you're playing this feel. game once a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, you go first. I go first. Okay. Well, how many have you got? 
I got one, one or two. See, right. how, see how they go. I got two. So should I go first? We can. I can bookend you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, we can play a little game on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Um, the first one, I will give no descriptions of this because I think if I do, I'll give it away. Brilliant. So these are off Letterboxd. Okay. First review by Pied Piper. Brilliant. Ah, the old trope of the sexy, mysterious, possibly unstable young woman who seduces two men at once, unable to let either go and tempting both of them simultaneously. This slow burner consisted largely of forgettable scenes of the protagonist waiting in his car, waiting in his apartment, and walking through fields. It was like watching CCTV footage where mostly nothing happens, and then someone eats a sandwich. Incredibly frustrating film with a deeply unsatisfying finale, lacking suspense or tension. That's a half star out of five review. All right, second review. No idea. No idea. Okay, all right. The second one, posted by Harvey Brooks, which might be their real name, (laughs) posts, What the fuck? I don't think I've ever seen such a boring movie. The first half is a guy going from a farm to his house and then talking awkwardly to a girl, brackets, horrible dialogue. (laughs) Then the second half turns into this mystery thing, brackets, (laughs) Bad tone for the overall film. Didn't fee organic. Feel organic. Maybe he meant feel. Yeah. Close brackets. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And it's not even good because there isn't even an answer to what happened. This is the most pointless movie I've seen in a long time. So that review talked about how, as another half star review, that review talked about how you don't get an answer to anything in this movie. The third one, I feel like I've just been insulted. This director really just spoon-fed every little bit of information, didn't he? (laughs) I can't even begin to list every instance. It was that overwhelming and intrusive. The cinematography said, Here! This is what it means! In the case the dialogue wasn't making it obvious enough. Make it stop. This style of slapping your audience in the face with the narrative meant that almost immediately the plot could be deciphered, and when you know the plot real fast... A thriller does not make. It does... That doesn't make any sense. It does make me want to snooze through the fourth masturbation scene. (laughs) Which, again, (laughs) I get what the director was saying. Have I seen this movie that has four masturbation scenes Jesus Christ, the movie was so bad, make it stop. Literal masturbation scenes? Yeah, actual masturbation scenes. Yeah. Bright spot. No, I I can't think of what this one could possibly be. The protagonist... The female protagonist, or the the main female character, is a fantastic actress. She does not deserve this. <laughs> it's also a half star review. Half star, I could go lower if I could. Uh, uh, this will give it away. I usually enjoy Korean cinema, <laughs> and I actually love artsy movies. But this was absolute pure torture. Oh, this is your burning. This is your burning. Yeah. Tom. Are you trying to just? <laughs> Break a record for number of weeks in a row that we can mention yeah. burning. I thought it would be funny to see what <laughs> what opinionated folks thought about it. Oh, there you go. No, I okay. like that someone gave it a half star for telling you everything, and then someone gave it a half star for telling you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. I want shit. Th- I want to put those two people in a room and just have them fight. Oh shit! Speaking of fighting, 
I'll do it after this segment. <laughs> no, no, let's sizzle it. I'll sizzle it. But you don't know what I'm sizzling yet. That's the real mystery, mate. <laughs> That's the real sizzle. Brilliant. All right, you go. Okay. Three out of ten. You can't call a sci-fi great simply because it uses philosophical thoughts and lasts more than two hours. <laughs> okay, I think I might know what this is. <laughs> um... <laughs> This movie hasn't aged very well since its initial release with a poor and confusing plot as well as substandard special effects and lackluster visuals. Also, I nominate this character that interprets this, this actor that interprets this character as one of the worst actors in movie history. Um, I hate movies like this. Many slow motion, too many gun shootings, protagonist always trying to be cool, he literally says, protagonist is always invincible, always wins a battle easily, and protagonists are always dumb and lose a battle easily. I am not interested to see martial arts in a movie. I w- I'd rather watch gun battles. If I want to watch martial arts, I'd rather watch real martial arts. Martial arts in movies are fake. I don't even like most gun battle movies like The A-Team, Night and Day, or Resident Evil. I only like gun battles from Metro 2033. It gives me a thrill because the bullets are limited. What? (laughs) Is that the end of the review? Three out of ten. Oh, those are two separate reviews. Oh, fuck. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Hold on. I, I think I think I've got an inkling. Let me find the one. I'll rule out my second my second guess. Okay. It's none of the films in the Star Wars franchise. Correct. Okay. Three out of ten. The Citizen Kane of the Digital Age. Tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Three out of ten. Shit. Just like <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> All right, this person snuck in a big, big, <laughs> a big dump on Citizen yeah. Kane in their review of a different. Unfortunately, movie. just as good as Citizen <laughs> Kane, which means it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, bro! <laughs> um, oh, that was the end of that review. Yeah, as that, well. was okay. that was it. That was it. It was just a drive-by on Citizen Kane, <laughs> yeah. and that was it. <laughs> I love that. You should have to do that with all reviews. It's like, <laughs> compare it to a different review that you also have a contentious opinion on. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what? Um, uh, anyone who thinks this movie is great is an imbecile. Kay. Unfortunately, this country is rife with imbeciles. <laughs> okay, okay. This movie has some cool effects and some style, I suppose. But it also has some of the lamest effects ever printed to celluloid. E.g. the the freezing and slow motion effects. For the martial arts genre, this kind of style is the cat's meow, but like most martial arts movies, the visuals can't overcome the shortcomings of the brain-dead plot. Wait, is it? And that, my dear friends, is where 2001, with its late 60s FX, spanks this movie up one side (laughs) of the street and back down the other. Thanks for trying. In closing, an earlier comment alluded to a comparison of this movie and Citizen Kane. I'm still waiting for that comparison. Wait, so it's not... Is it? It's not Blade Runner. No, it's not. Okay, I thought it was Blade Runner. No, it's not. But you said martial arts, and that's that threw me. That's why I guess Star Wars. But Blade Runner has no martial. You're right. Okay. Oh. Okay, give me one more. Um, I think I might know now. The lead actor in this. Oh, hold on. 
The lead actor in this film may be the first actor in cinematic history to be outperformed by his sunglasses. They emote yeah, more okay. than he does. Throughout the film, this actor is just about as dem- demonstrative as Stephen Hawking after a severe heart stroke. <laughs> he's so wooden that he's basically All a right, fire risk. His, <laughs> <laughs> his acting is limited That's to pretty good. <laughs> yeah. His acting is limited to turning the corners of his mouth down like someone tasting tea made with urine. It's very hard to praise a film whose protagonist is played That's by a personality who could very easily be mistaken for a for a prop in front of a cigar store. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. No, wait. Is it the Matrix? Yeah. yeah. Okay, fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh. Ah. I absolutely thought it was Blade Runner at first. Yeah, with all of the philosophical themes stuff. <laughs> I was thinking like bad effects and aesthetics, and I was like, it's lauded for its effects and aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, okay. That can't be it. There's also a review here that's written entirely in Arabic. Fuck I would yeah. love to know what it says. Imagine being Arabic and watching The Matrix. Fuck me. Oh, the selecting of the Arabic text is also right to left. Oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. It's a fucking nightmare is what it is. <laughs> now you're just holding your phone upside down, mate. <laughs> that's actually Czech. <laughs> that's English. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well <laughs> while you're working on the fucking Rosetta Stone of dumb shit... <laughs> Here's my one. <laughs> I googled the Arabic text, and the only Google result I got was got was for that page on Metacritic. <laughs> well, we've all learned something from this, I think. <laughs> okay, and it's not Arabic. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right, you ready? Yeah. You ready? Are you ready for this? All right. This is one star out of five. Brilliant. Uh, watched by Lucy. Oh. I haven't felt this disappointed in a long time. I figured going into this that it would end up being my least favorite tortellini, <laughs> but I had no idea. <laughs> that should be a spoiler, but it's not because I don't <laughs> know what she means. <laughs> Anyone could have directed this. It feels completely inorganic when related to him. Steven Spielberg. Something Steven Spielberg. No. Especially that it's clearly playing out a nostalgic fantasy, and even if he tried a new route by throwing out all of his old signature styles, whatever replaced it here is still completely unoriginal. A lifeless corpse of a plot, build-up that goes nowhere... Characters underused and even dialogue underdeveloped. A crescendo at the end that feels lackluster and unearned, leaving me feeling nothing but bitter. The performances are sometimes great, but with nowhere to go. (laughs) I can understand seeking this out for some of the main actors, but besides that, it feels like a waste of time. And if anything, this simply proved to me that without his old motifs in play, he's really not good at directing a straightforward drama. It's not even that I miss the motifs, it's that he's nothing without them. Uh, once I upon felt a time in Hollywood. Embarrassed. <laughs> Back to all of his previous films that won me over every time, even with their massive flaws. How resentful I've always been that his movies were a big reason I got into film as a teen. How conflicted I still am that some of them mean so much to me. But after this hot fucking mess, <laughs> and especially with the controversies surrounding him like a swarm, I'd be fine if he never made another movie or got another accolade. Throw in the towel, dude, because this was just sad. And cue the arguments in the comments section in three, 
two, one. So yeah, that was one star out of five for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, directed by <laughs> Quentin Tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was autocorrect on her phone. Imagine oh, writing that shit on your phone. <laughs> None of the sentences are capitalized, though, so I think it was actually a... Is Tortellini like a pet name for Tarantino? I don't, I don't know. know. It might just be... It might be a, a, an attempted humor. Mm. <laughs> oh, what if I refer to him as Tortellini? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all. You got it. You got it. You got it quick and fast. Unlike the pacing of this movie. Uh-huh. I think that's all we got. <laughs> that's all I got. Half a star. Watched by Aldrin. One word. Fugly. <laughs> For once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I think it looked quite good. <laughs> I agree. I think if anything, its aesthetic was one of the one where there was the feet. The feet did look great. Half a star. Watched by Therese Bellavet. One word. Feet. She's included a period oh at God. the end of that sentence. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that might be it for uh, rate my meat. So let's jump into the beefness of this episode. Of this pleasurable affair. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, this week, of course, we studied, studied, studied. <laughs> this week, we watched intently and prepared rigorous notes on. Um, I didn't learn nothing. As we mentioned earlier, the film by our friend Andre from 2014 called Leviathan. Um, main character is this dude named Collier who is a mechanic in a small town somewhere in Russia who has his whole house and workshop and everything on quite a nice area of land the local mayor has his eye on. So the mayor sort of pulls legal strings and he's kind of this corrupt official and he forces on he forces Collier to have to sell his land to the government for like a pittance, like for, a f- a f- for like a fifth of what it's actually worth. Um, One second, I'm going to see how this is pronounced in Russian. Do it. Leviathan. 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 Uh, put the fucking mic up at the speaker. Leviathan. Leviathan. Leviathan at the door. We're doing a podcast. Sorry, I'll start. <laughs> to bore it. <laughs> I'll start again. <laughs> yeah. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. <laughs> <No>! <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Um, so basically, the first bit of the film is uh, Collier f- fighting in the local town courts and stuff to try and get this decision for him to lose his place to the government overturned. Yeah. Um, and he sort of gets fucked at every turn. Um, he's got his brother, who's a lawyer in Moscow. I think it's not actually his brother. I think it's a long-time, like, childhood friend. I think it, it okay, I suppose it doesn't, it's not really strictly relevant either way, but my understanding was that it was literally his brother. Sort of makes something worse there's later. Photo, in the there's photo, there's like family photos of them together. I, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I suppose, yeah, whatever. In, in any case, he's got, he's either brother or like childhood best it's, friend. It's, it's his childhood man, yeah. Okay, right. Um, who's like a, now who's like a, a lawyer in Moscow up to sort of help him fight this stuff. So they're trying to, yeah, expropriate his house, yeah. That's the main plot of the movie. There's this lawyer guy gets, like, um, dirt on the mayor and dirt on the local officials and tries to blackmail them into, like, um, uh, giving up the case and that kind of thing. Um, But the film is basically a drama about this small town and the sort of small-scale political corruption that happens in this little town. It happens to Collier and his family and the way it impacts them. Um, Yeah. 
it's a really slow kind of film. Like it opens on lots of slow, wide, dark, kind of murky shots of nature and the sort of areas like, surrounding yeah, the town. The ocean and, and rocky cliffs and yeah. a, a sort of um, places in the town with no... Mostly like coastal, so I, th- I think it's like a port town. Yeah. It's like mostly, yeah, deserted or uninhabited parts of this this landscape. And it's I, very yeah. bleak and, like you say, cold and dark. And I think that, like, the one of the first off, one of the first things you get off out of those sort of, like, scene setting it gives you, um, it kind of reminds me of, um, did you ever see that film? No. Calvary? The one about... No, I didn't. Brendan, what's his name, is... Fraser. Brendan Fraser, is that it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy from The Mummy. <laughs> No, it's not the guy from the Mummy. It's um, <laughs> I guess Brendan Gleeson uh, plays this um, Irish priest in a. S- <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got fucking Fraser, man. <laughs> you, I, you could have been like, yeah, it's Brendan Fraser, and you, I would you would have had me yeah, going I for fucking left it months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much of a risk that people would think that I'm an idiot that thinks it was Brendan Fraser. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's definitely no risk of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Brendan Fraser's like an, <laughs> I, an, an Irish priest, and it's got similar. Fuck. Excellent. Excellent viewing, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got it's similar. Uh. It's got a similarly bleak small town kind of aesthetic with a lot of shots of the <laughs> natural. Brendan Gleeson <laughs> plays an Indiana Jones ripoff. <laughs> Please, I want to go to bed. <laughs> uh. Um, uh. It reminded me of it in terms of tone, where the film has lots of very quiet static shots of like landscapes that sort of set up the world of the film as almost being sort of dwarfed by um, the natural world around yeah. it. And I think that's a lot of what a lot of what these shots in the opening part of the film were trying to do. It shows you like wrecked uh, ruined old husks of big ships that are now sort of sitting like skeletons in the dried up seabed next to the town alongside like this actual giant skeleton of a whale or something. I believe it is a whale. Or something. It is a whale. It's a whale. <laughs> Listeners, it's a fucking it's whale. a whale or a fucking dinosaur. Probably a sperm whale. <laughs> yeah, duh. Yeah, boy. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. <laughs> how good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I think that that's a lot of what this film tries to do, just based off, if we talk about it, the cinematography of the film starting off with, mm-hmm. it's a lot of sort of bleak, a bleak, murky kind of shots. Um, oh, I don't know. It's just it, it's very overcast, is what I mean. Yeah. So it like, starts with a montage, and this place looks miserable. Yeah, exactly, um, and, and intentionally so. It's meant it, the area that this is shot is like renowned for its like fucking inhospitability. Yeah, exactly. And its weather, and so again, that's like sort of emphasizing the known for its weather, <laughs> the major the major impact that the the natural world has on this little landscape. Like a lot of the houses are kind of run down and shitty. Um, 
and it kind of mirrors, I suppose, what they're trying to say that maybe the Soviet Union is now, where it's sort of been a bit run down and it's sort of fallen from grace in terms of it not necessarily being the golden era of um, Russian society anymore, especially not in this little corner of the world where yeah. these people find themselves. Yeah. Um, and so we're already at sort of... And I think that... Indicative that of the idea that like this long passage of time has sort of led to some sort of great legacy or great sort of thing being lost somehow. Um, which I think kind of plays into themes later in the movie as well. Yeah, I think the cinematography reflects the tone of the film a lot, which is yeah. that it's it's bleak yeah. describes both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a bleak fucking story and uh, the geography of the landscape feels bleak and the cinematography... Also feels extremely bleak. There's it's very there's a lot of blue, like really, um, the 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 color grading of the film it's really heavily graded towards blue. So you get like light sources and indoor spaces that sort of stand out as like really um, like tiny islands of shelter of warmth, it, just in amongst these oceans of like different colors of blue. And yeah. so it does a really good job of making the place feel, e even if you're inside, you know, warm in your home with your family, really, you're you're afloat in just a, just an ocean of, like, desolate it's, yeah. space. Especially since it doesn't really do much to establish the character as having any sort of community atmosphere that he's experiencing no. in this town. In like fact, it basically says, I live here with my family and we don't have any other family. And he feels kind of alone. The whole ca the, the main character, Collier, feels kind of lonely. He's a sort of middle-aged, 50-year-old guy who um, seems to be quite a good mechanic, but all he really does is just like fix up the rusted-out old vans that are owned by local police officials and shit. Yep. And he doesn't even really like doing that because they, like they don't pay him. He's got, like, this small, tight-knit community yeah. of mates. He's got this shitty relationship with his son. Um, he seems to be pretty kind of cold and standoffish with his wife as well. Um, yeah. His first wife died or has left him or something. Um, and so it's sort of... He, he's a, he already sort of feels like a bit of an outcast and a bit of a loner. And I kind of feel like a lot of the, the solemn music and cinematography that accompanies this guy's story isn't necessarily amazing in its own right, but it does a good job of adding weight to that tone of the film. I yeah, say. and it's very cohesive. Yeah. It's like Philip Glass does some very haunting music for this film, or they use some of Philip Glass's music in this film, and it works very well to kind of yeah. complement that, yeah, that that desolation and that sense of loneliness and isolation and, yeah. and that haunting tone. I, so think, I think that I would have wanted a bit more in the way of like, cool cinematography though like i feel like this is a sort of film where like it the slow pace of the film and the sort of contemplative nature of the story um means that like it seems like you'd want to take while while he's taking his time to tell the story he can use that time to show off a little bit um, right. like you sort of get in burning or like i think calvary the brendan Frasier film we were talking about before um, <laughs> is very good in that respect in that it sort of feels like it's got a lot it's got a lot happening behind the scenes whereas this felt like almost the director really only cared about telling his story and the story itself isn't 
I didn't think that interesting right. enough to stretch it out over two and a half hours. Like, it says he's got Philip Glass doing a score. I barely noticed that. And I know Philip Glass is famous for doing, like, ambient kind of stuff. But still, I didn't really notice this music that much. I noticed during the intro montage and the outro montage um, because I thought that's unmistakably Philip Glass. But during the entire rest of the film, I don't know if there was any more of his music used. Maybe that was all they used. It could, it could be, yeah. but... Um, yeah. Still, like, I, I know that people have praised the writing of this film and thought that the screenplay was particularly good. I don't know. I thought that there was definitely it was definitely quite a complex plot, I suppose, all things considered, with a lot happening in it. But also the fact that this film's two and a half hours long meant that it did feel really slow, and there wasn't really much that I found was particularly engaging from scene to scene, if that makes sense. If we're moving on to more of the writing side of things, I don't know what your experience was. Well, yeah, I mean, before... No, yeah, sure. Um, I agree. I, I felt like part of it was, it was a very, like the pacing was very slow and I normally don't mind that in films. I don't mind when films take their time, but I think I agree that I would have liked to see a little bit more. It was like, it's like a film's either very naturalistic in its shooting and the pace, pacing's fast, so you don't really notice the cinematography. Yeah. Or it's like, it's a very, uh, like it, it it takes its time a, f- a film will take its time and you don't get bored by that because the cinematography is so slow there were some scenes i noticed that there were one one thing that i i was impressed by in terms of the 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 editing and the cinematography was that um there were a lot of really hard continuous shots in this film that i feel if you weren't looking for them would go unnoticed yeah, I didn't notice but that it all. turns out that like yeah, like there's one scene where everyone had to hit, like four people had to hit different independent beasts for everything to look really natural and no yeah. one to be waiting around. And I was like, oh shit, that looked like real life, but like the whole thing's constructed. So I think yeah, there I were a few very impressive moments like that. It's that just a shame that it goes unnoticed. I mean, I, I feel like maybe yeah, and, he's and, a victim and why of, does it go unnoticed? Yeah, I suppose maybe know? he's a victim of storytelling and maybe like writing and uh, sh- shots in the film that are so realistically and so sort of true to lifely depicted yeah. that you don't even really think about it. Like, I think like now, now that I think about it, like the shots where like, uh, they go down to the river and they shoot targets mm. as like this birthday party celebration thing. Um, there's a lot going on in all those scenes with like stuff happening in the foreground and the background and props and sets all over the place in yeah. the middle of this wilderness thing that must have been a pain in the ass to do. And the driving and scene really there impressive. was another example of a continuous shot that was really impressive. That's a good point. Yeah, I suppose I just never really thought about it. I mean, I think there was a lot. Because there's not... It seems like the landscape... I don't know. Maybe I'm just asking for beautiful landscape shots and that's not necessarily what he wanted to do. But like... It, just, it wasn't really gripped by a lot. And the story is very good. I just feel like it seems like there's an opportunity missed there for something a bit more, but maybe he didn't really want to do that. Maybe he wanted the bleak, somber tone of the film to sort of put you in that kind of frame of mind while you're watching the the story unfold. Yeah, and no one is particularly animated. Um, The performances are all quite, like, muted and naturalistic. I mean, there are are some quite heated arguments between the kid and the, the parents and the... I think the kid is, like, the main, yeah... He sort of has this like youthful anger. And I, no, I, I disagree. I think that a lot of the performances are very good. I think, like for example, I didn't say they were bad. No, I mean, sorry, they're, they're quite animated and they're engaging. I think the performances are. I think they're engaging, but they're very like restrained, I which I feel so. mirrors the 
like kind of oppressive tone of everything where like yeah. everyone's just kind of having the joy crushed out of them. Well, the um, I think I think there's a lot of variety in them as well. Though, like the, the scenes in the courthouse where he's having the judgment read out, and the and it's almost like the joke is that the the judge is like without looking up in like a monotonous voice reading out like so fucking fast, breakneck fast, <laughs> like two pages worth yeah. of legalese. And I I wasn't sure if that was funny because like holy shit, they speak Russian. it sounds like she's intentionally speaking as fast as she possibly can. But yeah. maybe in English, if you were just reading out, maybe like if I'm scanning an article. And I'm just like muttering under my breath. That's how fast I also read. But that was like her delivering but her judgment. And yeah. I think that like that was like a good way of like them because that happens a couple times. Like them like using the portrayal of the character mm. and the the line delivery as like a that that was one of the beats where it felt like it wasn't doing re, it wasn't doing a realistic thing. It was like almost sort of hamming up how shitty and how like um uh like negligent like the callous. court is and callous the court is yeah. in terms of like not giving a fuck about taking care of people. Yeah. Um, so like the writing and the narrative was yeah, really good. I don't know exactly what it was about this film. Like I was kind of captivated the whole time and I could tell that it was really good. Um, but I think I'd just seen examples that I preferred of yeah, like I really good maybe, nuanced storytelling. Maybe it's just a subjective kind of thing. I suppose you can probably think about that in terms of what we're going to compare it to at the end. Um, but it definitely felt like that there was a lot of depth to storytelling and the writing in the film that could be unpacked. And it feels like a film that lends itself quite well to like filmic and thematic and uh, visual analysis. So listeners, if you think of any, let us know. <laughs> well, I we're going to end it there. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of motifs in this film of like, as we alluded to earlier, like decaying things that, uh, that were signs of greatness once, but that are now, um, that have now passed on it or moved on or the city has moved on around them. It so. almost reminds me of that Ozymandias poem. If you, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the, the ruined, Egyptian pharaoh statue in the middle of the desert. Yep. And I thought that. Good poem. The Philip Glass uh, music that is used in this was actually... uh, Lifted from something else? It was a piece of music that Philip Glass wrote about an Egyptian pharaoh. Oh, right. There you go. So, yeah, I think... Oh, no, I think I had... Now that you mentioned it, I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of the pharaoh, so... Was it Philip? Suck that lemon. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no. So I, I think like, in, I, I can't fault any of the performances. I think the performances in this film are fantastic. And I feel that because at no point did I remember that these were people acting. Reminds me a lot of that Cold War Polish film we watched. Yeah. Where you sort yeah. of forget that it's not real. Yeah. I feel actually, you know, in a lot of ways, I think I feel similarly to this how I did about Cold War. You went where crazy I could like Cold War. Yeah. Where I could like to I think I enjoyed this much more. Um I had an extra thirty percent of the screen to enjoy. <laughs> but um I want a film that just makes. I want a film that is shot exclusively in the black bars on the edges of a, a four by three film, so you can project a four by three film and your film that's shot in two slivers on the <laughs> other sides. I thought you would. Uh, no, I want a film that's like <laughs> mobile phone. <laughs> 
resolution. Yeah. So it's just Instagram yeah, exactly. story. No, but it's, Not it's, two of them, though. Just one no, in the middle of the screen. It, it'll be one film that's split across two skinny black uh, bars that are on the left and right-hand so side like of the screen. The, the negative of a 4 by 3 It's almost yeah. like how you heard about, you know, there was those 3D TVs that we heard about when 3D TVs were, I think, for like a year and someone figured out a way of rigging it so that you could play split-screen games on one TV. Oh yeah, where, like, by like you get the whole TV and one person wears the yeah. glasses for half of it, and the other person wears the glasses. For the yeah, other. yeah, yeah. Good yeah. shit. It's like that's, that. That's clever. Yeah, one one person can be watching the movie in the middle, and the other person can be watching the movie that's projected in the black bars on either side. Yeah, so I guess like in terms of the storyline, because we'll, <laughs> I guess we can jump in. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> pulling a ride back. I guess we can jump into some spoilers later. But the storyline is really quite rich. I think there's a lot going on here. I think this is exactly the type of film where I've talked to you a bunch about films, right? I talk about enjoying, like, really ripping them apart and studying them. And I think yeah. this is a film that I would love to study because I'd love to understand much more of the deeper context of the Russian culture that it's portraying. Well, yeah, because we can the, talk about because that's bit the more. thing. Because it's a very, on a very literal level, it is a critical and sometimes almost satirical, but not quite, um, depiction of corrupt the corrupt political system in Russia in a in a modern day. Yeah. And it's of course I think it was partly funded by some sort of Russian government governmental institution. It was. And there's a big like Russian fucking logo at the beginning of the film being like proudly sponsored by the you know, the people's cultural movement of Russia or whatever. From the from Russia's Ministry of Culture. Right. Um, which is uh, absolutely insane after you watch this ministry. film. Um, to then imagine that the Russian Ministry of Culture would have sponsored it, considering how critical it is of like direct, it like directly has like these critical ca- these like crazy corrupt p- figures, like the mayor of this town, who is this corrupt almost criminal who has like uh, like a drunken mess, has like this portrait of Putin over the desk and that, like yeah. Uh, so then, Vladimir Bedinsky, who's a Minister of Culture and a quote conservative historian. Uh, acknowledged that the film showed talented movie making, but said he did not like it. It oh. sharply he sharply criticized its portrayal of ordinary Russians as swearing vodka swigging people, which he does not recognize from his experience as a Russian or that of real Russians. He also thought it strange that there was not a single positive character in the movie, and implied that the director was not fond of Russians, but rather fame, red carpets, and statuettes. They've now proposed guidelines which will ban movies that defile the national culture Brilliant. as a result of their funding of this film. Brilliant. So, uh, you fucked it for you'll get you, day. artists. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you could quite quite rightly... <laughs> it's funny that he wasn't like, no, it was the problem with the portrayal of the corrupt politicians. He's like, <laughs> no, this film hates Russians and you should hate him because of that. It's yeah. almost like that's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. You, you could, like, you could look at it from that literalist perspective mm. and then have a more... <laughs> You could do what you're doing. <laughs> or... No, no, I mean, like, you're right, there's a lot of levels. So there's yeah, that yeah. level where you, you look at, like... Um, That's kind of the storyline. The political yeah. storyline and how that relates to reality and, like, understanding more of the reality of what's happening in Russia and how it's reflected in the film. But there's also a whole bunch of, like, more metaphorical literary type things that you can dig up. Yeah, which is, as you alluded to earlier, um, this being kind of a parable similar to Job. Um, it also like biblical shit. Leviathan <laughs> is a great name because yeah, it alludes to uh, parts in the Book of Job. It also alludes to uh, Thomas Hobbes' like philosophical concept of a Leviathan, which I think we were talking about beforehand, and you hadn't really come across too Not much really, before. No. So that's a really interesting concept as well, especially when you consider it. So 
Um, well, we could launch into that the first of those if you'd like first, the biblical one, where the the Levi- uh, it's. I'll, I'll just briefly cover this because yeah, I sure. think there's a lot Go more to it. talk about with the biblical thing. But um, Leviathan, from Thomas English philosopher Thomas Hobbes' perspective, is a more direct analogy to this, where uh, it it describes a. The, the title Leviathan was the title of a book from 1651 that Hobbes wrote, which described the relationship of state, government, and society. Um, it argued for the necessity of a social contract that would ensure that power is given to... I'm reading from an article here, which yeah. I'll talk a little more about later, but um, it argued that the necessity there was a necessity for a social contract that ensures that the power that's given to a ruling entity to protect a society against a return to the state of nature... You need to give a ruling entity power to protect a society against a return to the state of nature, which is typified by like chaos and violence. So he's saying that um, without this like social code and everyone kind of agreeing to the social contract, you're basically uh, condemning whatever society you're trying to construct to eventually failing and returning to this state of like anarchy and nature and chaos, which is interesting because he saw that as quite a bad thing. So where's the giant fish come into it? I don't get it. Yeah. The idea that he was coming up with was that, um, a society is built up of many, 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 many individuals. And at the head of that individual, there is a single like ruling philosophy or like a little no person? like a like more like a person but a figurehead i'll say doesn't necessarily need to be one person but just yeah a figurehead and that i, I think that figurehead and the concept of all of that like well, ex- that entire assemblage is like well the entire assemblage is the leviathan because it's so much bigger than any one unit and it's meant to be this like infallible, untoppable thing because it's such a large construct that I sort of see it, where that's it's protective. From. The idea that like, well, it's, it kind of reminds me of that thing that people say about like how money, it's, money itself is worthless. It's the mm. fact that we all agree that it has value that gives it value. Exactly. And, and, and you, you so all agree to not murder each other because you don't want to be murdered. And if you didn't yeah. have a rule that murder was wrong, you have a much greater chance of being murdered by someone which isn't productive for a society. Yeah, I suppose that's so interesting. Like yeah. Not breaking super new ground. I think what's really interesting about it in this specific context is the idea that um, how horrified Hobbes was by like a human's natural state and like this return to nature. Whereas in this film, it's obviously quite focused on the fact that nature preceded humans and it will continue to around yeah. after humans are gone. As reflected by the fact that most of the big sweeping shots for this film are of nature. They're completely sort of dwarf, yeah. tiny little ruined town kind of ar- in the center of it mm. and the sort of skeleton husks of big ships. And this town was clearly like once a big port once and now sort of isn't anymore. Even it's the motif of the whale skeleton. It's like it's yeah. a living thing that's dead now. Exactly. You know? And then it's, yeah, like the, the most unfathomably large living thing. Yeah, it's which, just become a part of the landscape. I suppose that kind of ties a bit into the, the biblical allusions that are in the film. Um, there, there is a priest that sort of talks to all the characters in the film and sort of comforts the corrupt-ass mayor mm. and offers guidance to Collier when he's in having a bit of a, shit, a rough go of things <laughs> later in the film. Um the Leviathan was this like mythical giant sea serpent, sea snake, dragon thing that's described in the book of Job in detail. And then it's referenced, I watched a video where they were sort of talking about it. It's referenced several times in other books in the Bible, um, almost as if you should already know what they're talking about. Right. Um, 
in passing, and then it's also referenced in like a like Bab- old Babylonian religious text or something. So it's this it's the fucking mythical sea snake thing, um, and it's used in the Book of Job as like a metaphor and an analogy by God who is talking to Job. Job's being punished for all this shit, and he's kind of saying like, "Why me, God? Why is it that I've done nothing wrong, and you're coming down upon me with like all your might?" Um, and Joe, God just sort of says, like, it's like a big dick-swinging contest yeah. on the part of God, where he's kind of like, well, you don't understand. There's all this chaotic shit that happens in the world, and the world is this giant, complex system and this machine, and only I understand and it. And you're a tiny little ant. You're a tiny little ant, exactly. And then he goes on to describe the, like, unfathomable might of the of the natural world and of... Uh, these huge beasts that he's created like in Behemoth it. and Leviathan. But Leviathan and is this fucking fish thing that he describes for way too long. Um, it's funny that he's God, talking. God really likes to ramble <laughs> yeah. on when he's God on a roll. Waffles. God waffles. God. God. When he gets started, you just can't <laughs> fucking shut him up. God just God. absolutely holding court about his giant <laughs> fire-breathing fish thing. Yeah. Um, it's also funny that he's like, he's not just talking in abstract terms. He literally starts to go into like the biggest animal. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the biggest fish yeah, of all fish. He Could can't you just kill be that? Like, Trust me, you're part. You're a tiny, tiny, tiny cog in an infinite machine. <laughs> he has to be like, uh, fuck. Okay, look. Imagine a fish. Okay, now imagine the biggest fish you've ever seen. <laughs> it's way bigger than that. <laughs> now think of a bigger fish than that. It's bigger than that. I meant Yahweh, really. Um, <laughs> really. I Yahweh, Mm-mm, my way. <laughs> He really likes nuance, yeah. doesn't he? Oh, man. Yeah, but I think... It's like, and it breathes fucking fire <laughs> out of its nose and its mouth. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it scales harder than pots. Yeah. You know pots? Harder <laughs> than that. You ever seen a pot? It's harder than that. <laughs> you ever pull the pot scales? Can't do it on this fish. <laughs> We're not just ad-libbing. These are like lines from Job. <laughs> it's a weird experience We're to read. ad-libbing a little bit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> We're not quoting, but we're not making this up in a vacuum, yeah. Job was written like the movie The Castle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, boy. Job, you're an ideas man. Yeah. Um, you, ever, you ever seen a big fish? <laughs> no, nah, not this big. You're dreaming. Yeah, but basically, that's what the... Uh, the book of Job kind of gets at is the idea that it's this unfathomably powerful, monstrous, chaotic world around Job, and Job can't even begin to understand or control or stop any of the processes or processes or anything that are Which happening. Which you around may, him. listeners, if you're keen, keen eared, start to see the parallels. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it's kind of drawing this parallel between like this huge world that only God can control and have any understanding of, and you have to have this giant holistic overview of everything to understand how one person's suffering has any place in the world around it. Yeah. And it sort of draws ob- the obvious parallels between that and between like, the corrupt Russian society, where you've got this like corrupt system that Collier is being just beaten down by. And he it, like, and it's like specifically the, the fall of and the decline of the Russian systems of governance after World War Two and yeah. like through the Cold War and stuff. Yeah. And then specifically Collier's character like has a whole bunch of like tragic shit happen to him while he's trying to sort of fight the system and the system's fighting back at him. Like he, you know, loses his his, his they're trying to like take his house and trying to sort of take his family and all sorts of shit like yeah. that. Um and I, f- I feel like I don't have any sort of specific stuff to say about that biblical illusion stuff other than like I think it's an example of like the depth that the 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 movie's going to to sort of invite a bit of wider reading. Yeah, and I 
I found this one. I, I actually it was this was the type of film where I immediately was like Leviathan analysis into Google. Um and I didn't manage to find too much good shit. But this a lot of the criticism sorry, a lot of the analysis of this movie, a lot of the criticism was from the Russian government, but a lot of the analysis <laughs> for this film sort of centers yeah, around out how all like, the depictions of political stuff in this is wrong. <laughs> Weird that they changed font. Um <laughs> the uh, uh this particular article uh, was looking at the representation of like the natural landscape and representations of space and how that was directly paralleled to like the the influence and the impact of power that different elements of this film had. So yeah. it was like drawing a direct parallel between like the it was saying that this film on its surface was about like yes the the um uh the Russian state even in its decline, being like an indomitable force. But what yeah. this film really does on top of that, and the reason why it has so many of these depictions of like decaying uh, uh, ob- objects, basically, because some of them are living and some of them are dead or were never alive or yeah. inanimate. Um, and the landscape around it that this town is sort of like embedded within and forms a part of is kind of putting the events of this storyline in an even larger frame and making them yeah. even more insignificant and making yeah. this one man's journey and struggle even more, like, pale even more in the scope of everything right. that's going on because he's not just fighting against... he He's fighting against the state and the state is fighting against him, but both of them are also fighting against, like, the inexorable tide of time, basically, and that's a battle that can't be won. Yeah, which so is really sort of like bleach them all from the face of, like, history. Exactly, and it's sort of... Th- this film is like, yeah, we'll zoom in to a macro scale on this shit, but when you really zoom out, as it does at the start and end of the film, these are... Uh, y- you're in a very desolate landscape of in terms of time like where you only occupy a fraction of a tiny little bit. Little so amp, it, ants running on the hamster wheel of time. Like, yeah, yeah, and like, yes, that ant is subject to a huge power structure relative to it, but that huge power structure is completely powerless yeah. in the face of the natural world well, and the natural progression of time. I, so that was kind of what this article was doing. I th- Yeah, well, I think that there are a lot of interesting specific shots now that you've reminded me that are sort of reminiscent of that in the film that I would have liked to have seen more of. Like, there's a really interesting one where the kid, Roma, watches his parents have a bit of an argument um, and he, like, sees some crazy shit and it kind of scars him and he go- runs down to the beach to have a cry and he sits down on this rock. Yeah, have an of, argument is a nice way to put yeah, that. Right. <laughs> um, he sits down on this beach and, like, um, sort of, like, slobs his heart out on this little rock and then it zooms out and it shows this enormous whale skeleton yeah, like he's just right sitting next, next to him. To him. Yeah, um, and it's, it's, it's shot in uh, 2.35 to 1 anamorphic, so it's quite a widescreen <laughs> format. Yeah. And uh, So you really see that big width. Yeah, and they use there. a lot of like wide-angle shots so that you get like this boy sitting on a rock off to the side and like there's an entire huge whale skeleton that's just like yeah. absolutely dwarfing Which is like screen. right there juxtaposing the problems of this little kid with yeah. like this whale, almost reminiscent of like a dinosaur, all this like sea, sea monster thing. Yeah, it's this thing been where around it's like, for millennia. How can that possibly almost. exist in the world that this boy lives in, right? Yeah. And then later on, there's one key moment uh, where you see a live whale and it's in the distance, but it, it does kind of like, for that brief moment in the film, join that idea of like this this uh, alien thing to like a thing that exists in the same world as you. And it's like, yeah. yes, they do live in the world just as just the same as you do. Um, so even though it might seem incomprehensible to you, it's very much alive and is very much operating in a different 
world and environment to the one that you perceive and, and exist in. I so. think considering the fact that that's um, this this is a film that operates and is set primarily in the natural world, like there's not much, there's not a lot of city type shots. A lot of the big meaningful shots of the film, like where they go out and have a party in a Target show, it's not at a bar. It's like on a river in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's a lot of major shots in this film that seem to take place, like when nature is the big backdrop for the for the scenes. Yeah. Which you don't get to see much of like the rural communities and the, the villages and the towns really. No, um, I think this is pretty regional. It would be mm. sort of like, I don't know, Yass or whatever. Yeah, like you don't even you don't even really get to see them walking through the towns. You see them like in their house or in a in the wilderness in the middle mm. of nature in the middle of nowhere. So for a film that has that, you barely get to see any wildlife. And so I think that, that one scene there where you see this whale, it's like the first time you've seen the living whale or any wildlife in the film at all. Yeah, so you I might think be right. I think I think it almost like it sort of takes the focus completely away from the scene where like that character in that scene is having the most meaningful fucking like existential huge existential breakdown moment for that character of, out of the whole film and immediately the audience is like, "Oh, whale." <laughs> yeah, and so even in the way it like captures the audience's attention away from this character that's having the most meaningful part of their whole life yeah. happen right in front of you on screen, and our attention is just drawn away by the whale. I think it kind of does a good job of, um, doing that same sort of dwarfing the characters by the natural world kind of thing. I don't know how they did that scene, by the way. Just just to quickly pause and like comment on a meta level. I don't know how they did. I that reckon scene. they did that with an Apple Mac in about twenty hours. But it looked fucking real. I think it was real. The whale. Yeah. Nah, it was enough, if in, the, it it was was enough in the background and I watched it on a little TV. Nah. I watched it on like, my high-res laptop screen. <laughs> like, it's a fucking massive resolution. It looked I don't, good. I don't I know, man. It, it was like, it was diving through waves and shit and they were all, it was, if if that was, Mate, it was, ha- it was computer generated. Yeah, like, but if it was computer generated, it was some of the best CG I've ever seen in my entire life. Dude had 220 million rubles on his hands. <laughs> yeah, I have, that's I have, $4. I have complete faith that he would have been able to spend some of that on a half-second postage stamp-sized whale in the background out of focus in his yeah, shot. Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I well, have no doubts about how he would have done that at all. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll look that up. But if they did, if that was real... um. Very impressive. I don't think so. It's just a fucking out of focus background fucking shot of a whale. Yeah, but they had to wait long enough for a whale to breach it's while a, she was having this moment. It's, <laughs> it's that's CGI what I'm saying. If it's whale, real, it's not. Yeah, but you don't because, know that any more than I know. They would have had to wait for a fucking whale. Yeah, I know. That would have been two hundred twenty dollars with a man hour sitting on that cliff waiting for a whale. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a Planet Earth documentary. It's a drama about a mechanic losing his house. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll never know. Overall, I think I think it was pretty pretty interesting. Uh, I don't I haven't seen very many Russian films at all. Actually, this might be the first Russian film I've ever seen. I definitely sort of was let down by the fact that it was pretty bleak, and I liked the complexity of the story. And I liked how many different things were sort of going on. Like, there's all these personal relationships, and you sort of get a bit of a window into what the community is like in this little place. But I think the fact that there was so much of the little community in the village you didn't get to see, and you didn't really get to see more into what life was like there, that it kind of let me down a little bit. And so, like, I feel like that's a weird criticism to have, because on the one hand, I'm saying there's so much depth to it, and there's so much... There's so much of a window into life there, but at the same time, I liked, I enjoyed those bits of the film so much that I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that. Right. Um, 
What was your... The, the overall, the pacing of the film, I feel, was sort of the weakest part of it. Because it was weird that it somehow felt like it was a complex film that, on the other hand, was very slow. Yeah. Like, there were a couple scenes where I felt like they were just in the film to give it a bit of texture. Um, if that makes sense. Where they weren't actually really, like, serving the film at all. In the same way as you might watch a Tarantino movie and be like, well, this scene's just taking the piss. Come on. Like, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. movie's two, three hours long. You didn't cut this kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, like there was a scene where like he was in the his office sort of talk, talking to his, his minions and like talking to the priest. And I thought those scenes was like, well, come on. Like I kind of get what you're doing with this scene, but like this movie's two and a half hours long. You, you didn't like condense this down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a bit of that. But other than that, I, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, I don't know. Some interesting bits of trivia. The I was trying to look up whether or not the whale was real. Um, <laughs> not, obviously not. <laughs> the, the whale skeleton in the film was built out of metal. And uh, apparently after the filming, some businessman bought it and it's just sitting on his front yard. <laughs> that, that's creepy as shit. Which fucking rocks. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. Um, and also, one thing that I was going to mention is the characters drink fucking heaps yeah. in this movie. The, like a, the minister, the culture, the culture minister was like was right. Absolutely plastered half the time. They portray them as being fucking booze hounds. Yeah, well, they just it has like Russia's got like one of the highest rates of alcohol consumption in the entire world, and they just like. They'll like they they'll pour a glass of vodka. It's like forty percent alcohol. Like a plastic cup tumbler. It'll be like full of vodka. Yeah, and the way that he pours it is like he puts he inverts the bottle into the bottom of the cup and just like lets just like pulls it up a little <laughs> bit as the cup like fills up, <laughs> and then he'll like tip it. Yeah, and yeah. then they just drink like a plastic cup full of vodka. And apparently, there's no source for this, but I trust <laughs> it. Um, for many of the scenes, they decided they drink for real. And, like, a lot of the takes weren't the first. So, when you're seeing characters be smashed on screen, they're, probably they're smashed. actually smashed, which explains why their performances of being drunk were some of the most convincing <laughs> I've ever seen. Because they do a really good job of, like, the Just physical... Like sitting there and staring into space for, like, three, <laughs> like like three minute. minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, like, just resting their head against the table or some shit. Yeah. It's like, that's... I feel like I've done that. Like, yeah, because they're actually yeah. just fucking <laughs> hammered. Yeah. So um, that's interesting and quite unethical. That is, <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the film overall. I think um, I liked a lot of the thematic stuff that was happening. Well, yeah, what was your favorite moment? I liked the scene with the them shooting by the river and hanging out at the little party kind of scene. Um, if only because it was one of the only scenes in the film where you got a bit of the sort of culture and him hanging out with friends, and it wasn't just this one dude being sad. Yeah. Um, I sort of liked that it sort of gave you a bit of an, a window into, like, what daily life might be like or what people would sort of do for fun in this, like, other side of the world in this completely different culture. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't mirror reality at all. I suppose it was one of the most, one of the most sort of color and movement sort of scenes in the film, which may be why it sort of piqued my attention. Have you got a specific favorite that might remind me? I... So there's this particular, like... Uh, shot or a couple of shots of like this again, like this destroyed, ruined church. Um, that's oh, yeah, that, that like boys, a group of boys hang out in, including Roma, hang yeah. out in for most of the film. And at one point, um, Kolya, uh, is is smashed and stumbles upon the church, and 
um, he's looking up at it and he, he's so he's staring like straight up and he's looking at the ceiling and it's just this like shot from his perspective looking straight up and so um, the church has three walls and then one of them is the night sky and there's like this cable thing hanging down um, and the night sky behind it is like this really dark blue background and the church is illuminated by firelight and it's all flickering and stuff and then at the end of the film there is a another shot of a uh very modern church that is exactly the same perspective and also has like a cable dangling down in the same position. And so it's like a direct one for one reconstruction of that shot. But instead of the uh, husk of the old church, it's a new church. And I really liked that as like a um, kind of like a, if if I had to summarize this movie in two shots, you know, I would yeah. say like, oh, it's the it's the old hollowed out church being in the same place as the the new church, well, not literally, but yeah. I enjoyed a lot visually. of the I enjoyed a lot of the criticism that was offered by that last shot as well, where it's the um the the mayor that we've just watched like screw over the main character who's this tiny little nothing guy for the mm. whole film just so he can build his mansion. Um is like in church listening to a priest sort of ter- talk about the virtues of truth. Yeah, and just spouting shit. And horse shit. And um, the well, mayor like... watched him yeah. not engage in exactly. any of that behavior. And then the mayor like leans down and says to his kid like, God knows everything, listen up. Like this is like good shit. Yeah. And, then j- and j- his kid's the like, one that's looking up at the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. And then just... I enjoyed that as like this heavy, heavy like lathered on criticism of like yeah. look at these fucking Hippocratic motherfuckers that like yeah um, hypocritical hypocritical <laughs> and they're, they're not doctors they promise to do no harm <laughs> and here they are doing harm um, yeah these like hypocritical motherfuckers yeah I, I enjoyed a lot of that and then I enjoyed a lot of the the allusions in the film to like um, them being like that time is like the ultimate equalizer and right. that time. Um, sort of gets the better of everyone eventually. I have one. Oh, uh, my favorite character was um, uh, Anzilla, which I guess is Russian for Angela, um, played by Anna Yukolova. She's like this really thick-skinned, uh, very like... Was that the wife's friend at the fish factory? The, yeah, 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 yeah. The one that works at the fish factory with um, uh, with Lilia. Uh, she's like got this really, I don't know what it was about her portrayal. She has this interaction with her son at one point where she's like, basically like fuck off and play outside. And the son's like, can I? And she's like, can you what? And he's like, play outside. She's like, yes, I just fucking told you to go and play outside. (laughs) And then he runs out and she's like, don't go further than this building. If you do, I'll fucking strangle you. (laughs) And then she's like, and put a hat on. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) She's such a tough love character, but you get some of the biggest emotional range out of her, when she's definitely like the most stoic in her emotional betrayal. I thought that was really good. So I really like those moments. The more I think about it, the more it's those little, it's funny. It's those those little family community little moments that are the best parts of the film. And so I suppose maybe those are like the little shining lights in a film that's otherwise very depressing and sort of like beats that shit out of you. And it's like, well, you can't have any of that because there's no space for it in this system that's like, made to crush these little people. I think I think I actually really have a lot of respect for this movie. I just think I can't say that it was like a joyful experience. No. 
or that a lot of the time I was watching it, I was like, oh man, this is such a good movie. It was, but it was so bleak and despondent that so I was more like... It's hard to have that kind of reaction out of Fuck, it. what's going to happen to this guy next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, cause I so, think yeah, I think it was really good, but yeah. it's a tough watch. Watching this guy have, have like tragedy after tragedy befall him. Oh. Much like this fucking biblical motherfucker yeah. to hear about God bragging about his dragons and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a, an an owned man. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, th- my know. favorite moment in the entire yeah. film is a huge spoiler, so we can't really talk about it until um, a little a little okay. sealed well, section. Well, that might be the only little bit in our sealed section. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you think of any other um uh, any any other films that you can give the better than a West End for this? Then, in terms of films that are similar to this that you enjoyed a lot more, I for one, in terms of like different. This is like in terms of, I mean, I suppose foreign films often are the films that give you more of a window into different cultures than anything else will. I enjoyed Burning a lot more than I enjoyed this. Yeah, I was um, gonna, I was gonna say the same thing, but I didn't want to be hack because yeah, I you fucking love that movie. Yeah, you can't <laughs> yeah, I gotta, movie again. I gotta pick something um, else. I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed Cold War a lot more than I enjoyed this. Oh, God. I think that Cold War did a lot more different stuff than this did and kept me engaged in a way that this didn't. Um, I would rather watch this movie five times than watch Cold War once. Absolutely. No, I I, I enjoyed Cold War. I, yeah. I think that they were very similar in terms of uh, the cinematography and the depth and the characters and the story that they offered. Yeah. Um, you know what I love in films? Color. Color. Was <laughs> well, barely and any a, of that either. And a bigger aspect ratio than four by fucking three. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, Those I, are two foundational likes of mine. <laughs> I think I enjoyed Cold War um, more than I enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't me, think of what I enjoyed Leviathan more than. I think I'm always worse at the... Um, I, I feel like heaps of unmemorable foreign films that we've seen. Like, as much as it's lame to compare them to foreign movies, this has a very, like, European low-budget film tone made by an extremely talented filmmaker. Yeah. And so, like, it's kind of tough to... Um, Especially since you probably identified a lot more if you were Russian. Yeah, because it feels like if you go into um, films that films of a similar budget, but that are American, right? That's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah. So something like the first one that comes to mind was uh, the Spectacular Now, right? It's a completely different movie. It's a totally yeah. different film, and I think this was much better. It's just that I like as a coming of age story spectacular now kind of feels like it hits its target easier but then it has a much easier target to hit you know what i mean so i feel yeah. like this is incredibly ambitious uh and does very well and was like recognized as such um so i guess in terms of that i enjoyed like the ambition and i have a great deal of like literary respect for what this film is doing so it's better than i think it's better than most movies that you'll get out of um the same budget from an American audience. Yeah, but like I it's just hard to come up with specific I, I think, examples. I think I think it's kind of like a not that I'm not that I'm going to sit here and call you pretentious for the sixtieth time in a row, but like I think that it's you can't really be like, um, oh, I know this film is better, but I enjoy these other films. If it, it sounds like you're saying you you like you like you enjoyed watching a spectacular now more, but you know that this Russian film is better. Is well, it's it's like well, no, if you enjoyed it more. To some degree, you can't just be like, "Oh, there's some depth there that I didn't quite get because I'm too stupid to get it." But I, I enjoyed. Um, you know what I mean? It's yeah, a, I'm just trying to. It sounds like you're saying, "Oh, if I just got it a bit more, I'd know." I know, objectively speaking, this film is better. It's like, well, I feel like the fact that we we sit there and sort of didn't get it 
means that for us, subjectively speaking, it's, it wasn't as good. I'm trying to do my best not to just compare it to other foreign films that I've seen because I I'm like, so. films not from America. I well, this yeah. one was better than a few because it's I not necessary. So. But I don't necessarily watch this type of film if it's filmed in English yeah. right? because it doesn't appeal to me really. So, like, what about Calvary? Yeah, I, I feel like the only diff- the only sort of... I can't remember enough of the commonalities between the films to draw a, a good sort of juxtaposition there, but I remember that... Calvary is also quite slow and sort of quite somber. It has quite a few comedic moments in it as well, but it had that same sort of thing where it feels like the the story is sort of quite slow um, and contemplative. Oh, okay. I watched a movie... um, ah, But I enjoyed it a lot more, Calvary. Okay, so uh, my better than is... I, I just remembered. I watched a film called Apostasy, which came out in 2017. I watched it when I was down at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Yeah. And it's an English film about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I talked about it. Um, but it's basically showing like what happens with... Um, uh, it, it shows a, a girl's... It's a, it's a bit of a coming-of-age story as well, but it more focuses on the effect on a family unit in England uh, in the modern day that being a Jehovah's Witness has. Yeah. Especially... Uh, for stuff like having a blood transfusion or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was a really slow burn as well. It was written and directed by uh, Daniel Cocatad- Daniel Cocatalo. And like it was sort of similarly uh, despondent or like... Uh, lonely in its tone and in the lang- in its visual language. Yeah. Uh, but I think what this film managed to do with that was a lot more impressive. So I liked this a lot more than I liked uh, Apostasy. Okay. Uh, but I... Yeah, and I I also liked it shitloads more than I liked Cold War because I was just bored out of my fucking mind by Cold War. I feel like that's um, kind of where I was for half But I liked Burning a lot more than this as well. Yeah, okay. Um, well, if you mentioned Burning next week... <laughs> that's the podcast over that's the podcast done no okay um, I, don't, I think that's kind of where we sit then I think that uh, one of the problems with watching foreign films is that you always feel like you're missing something and you probably always are to some degree yeah. if only like translations that you you miss jokes and you miss references and yeah. you miss cultural touchstones that Russian people are going to just get and we sort of don't um, did you say if we if we give a quick spoiler warning if there's a bit you want to talk about? Yeah, there's just one bit, and it's uh, there's an interesting comparison that I was going to make as well. But um, yeah, let's do it then. Yeah, okay. So like, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Um, the destruction of the house is so good. Uh, just a really incredible. Basically, the camera's just sitting there, and you can hear this. Uh, dozer kind of approaching it from outside and then all of a sudden there's this huge crash and it just comes through the wall and then you sort of watch half of the front of the house get destroyed from the inside yeah um and it reminded me a lot. It's it's the sort of thing where you're like, fuck, they only got to do that once because that was a fucking house with stuff on the walls, (laughs) tables and chairs get broken, like mugs get fucking smashed on the floor and stuff. You're like properly watching a house get fucking demolished. Yeah. Um, And it's the sort of thing where, yeah, you hope nothing goes wrong because you only get one take. And there's this scene, uh, I remember... um, And I suppose that's another thing. It's, It's like, that's like the most... You haven't seen anything as like built up and as modern and as like... um representative of modern society 
as a big old fuck off digger and bulldozer before. Yeah. And it's this huge like brand new construction equipment that's tearing down this old house full of this family's memories and that. Yeah. And so it's a s- similar kind of addition to the metaphor we're talking about about sort of time eventually taking everything and eventually sort of dwarfing and overtaking and overrunning any sort of small legacy you think you might have. Like that guy's talking about how like his grandfather built the place and he has an old photo of the place. Like his grandfather lived here and my father lived here and I've lived here and my son's going to live here and fuck that. And it's like, nah, mate, you don't mean anything. Yeah. And that's all torn down at the end of the film. It uh, it reminded me of a... there was a, There's a story of uh, a film that Andre Tarkovsky uh, was filming where... Um, they needed to burn down a house and um, like a third of the way into this, he was going to do it as like part of a continuous shot um, to show the whole house burning down. Uh, And like a third of the way through the camera jammed. It was a film camera and just the house fucking burnt down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And his, his cinematographer, I think it was in the sacrifice, I think, his cinematographer was like, film it with two cameras, film it with two cameras, film it with two cameras, film it with two cameras. And Tarkovsky was just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, they had to like scrounge together funds and like rebuild the fucking house and do it again. (laughs) Well, that that also happened with the bridge in The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Yes. If you remember that. Very similar, yeah. There was like a, um, if you hadn't... When I say go... Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't listened if you hadn't listened to that old, that old episode we did on Western movies, that yeah. literally happened. There's a scene that like is it looks like it's filmed in like a war zone and they got the Italian, so much shit going on on they screen. Got, they got like the Italian army involved. Um so that they could have like people and all these extras and stuff. Yeah. For, for some reason they needed to borrow like Italian vehicles or Italian army personnel and they built this fuck off big stone bridge in the background so that they could blow it up and whoever it was from the Italian military it was like, like an, a, a captain like yeah, an, it was a like, ranking officer yeah yeah you can use our stuff but I want to be in the film yeah um, <laughs> or whatever and there was some misunderstanding where it was literally something like the Italian captain be like alright so blow it up when I say go yeah the, it, yeah, the director was like um, Sergio Leone was like when I use this word <laughs> when I say lion and he's like Lion, lion, go, go, go! Yeah. And they blow up. They they blew up the bridge before <laughs> the anything was rolling. <laughs> and so the Italian military, this dude, felt so embarrassed <laughs> and so bad that they rebuilt the bridge so yeah. they could blow it up. He like told his men to rebuild it. <laughs> so fucking funny. It's still a bit of bus. <laughs> oh Christ! Oh, yeah, blow the bridge, blow the bridge, blow the bridge. <laughs> Fuck. Very funny. Um, <laughs> is that about all the time we got left for on this week's yeah, episode? Yeah, I of think Beast so. Station, then? The film, like, there's a lot of more serious beats in the storyline, um, like what you alluded to that makes Roma the sun run out of the house, the really <laughs> fucked up thing. Well, yeah, that, um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose that, well, now that we're in the spoiler thing, yeah, it's like this film really does sort of echo the tribulations of Job in many ways. Like yeah. his wife, um, if we're sp- if we're spoiling shit, like his wife cheats on him with his best friend. And he gets sent off. His, his wife kills herself out of guilt, 
and sort of out of shame. Yeah. And then Collier gets sent off to prison for 15 years for something that he didn't even really... And the lawyer friend abandons him. Yeah, well, Col- Collier, I forget, forgot, yeah, Collier gets framed for the murder of his yeah. wife, even though he didn't do shit. And yeah. his, his best friend abandons him and he loses his son because Collier has to go to prison. Yeah, and they know it wasn't him that killed her. It's yeah. just that they, if he's out of the way, they can fucking demolish yeah. the house. And his friend, his, his, his closest friends, like, lose all faith in him and testify against him because yeah. they think she, he murdered his wife and, like, yeah. all this crazy shit that sort of spirals into this depressing-ass ending where, like, you just, you finish it and you're like... <sighs> yeah. And he basically, there's this scene where they're like, do you understand what is going on? And he's just like, no. No. I don't fucking understand why well, any of this is happening. They read him as rights and are like, do you understand? And he just like, yeah. He answers in like crumbles. the full scale of his, yeah, his yeah, circumstances, exactly. uh, which is a brutal scene. Yes, yeah, so I, th- I, th- I think I sort of got a lot more out of this film by reading the the Bible passage stuff and I read some like analysis just of that Bible passage and all the all the, the stuff that this dude was talking about, like the unconquerable might of God and the, all the chaos and uncontrollable nature of the universe that yeah. one man can't even begin to fathom. I was like linking that all together with like all this like unconquerable might of the Russian government type shit. Yeah, I think here's my here's my here's my thesis statement. Like on it had the whole a little weight to it. I think if you I, I, I think if we were Russian and had that like full shared culture. Yeah, this film would have instantly like had its hooks in both of us. And I think that one of the main barriers that you have to overcome watching this as a non-Russian is like learning and understanding the cultural tone that this is trying to reflect. Yeah, and then looking into all of the significance of all of the symbology and that type of thing. Yeah, so it feels like that's kind of its greatest like. Limitation, and it's not a fault of the film itself. It's it's a fault of us as viewers, but um, or not a fault, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just something that I feel like it's going to take a while to like percolate. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, I feel like I did really enjoy this film, and it was operating on a level that I usually that I that I do have a lot of respect for and that I do really enjoy but it's a lot more difficult for me to uncover that stuff than I than it normally would be so I think the more that yeah you dig around and uncover like the thematic content of the film the yeah. better this film is I think um, so but even before that it's sort of as a, as I said it's a film that you come out of with this like really dour perspective because it's such a hard story such a bitter pill to swallow and yeah. like as I mentioned earlier uh, as the criticism of the film was saying that the Russian minister, he's like, there are no good people in this film. It's like, yeah, all of this, I mean, like the protagonist rapes someone. It's like no one, no one in this film is morally clean. Even Job has like committed one of the most heinous crimes that he possibly can against someone that he loves. So it's, you sort of are left with like almost no perspective of empathy. You're just watching this like tortured family. I felt like the son was a bit of a shithead. Yeah. Um, And he is like the product of his circumstance as well. Little 12 year old slav dude rocking around in these Adidas tracks. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone's (laughs) drunk all the time. Like, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was definitely a bit of a bummer to watch. Yeah. I think it's a great movie. Um, but it's just one of the more, like, ironically sobering films yeah. uh, that I've seen in a while. Uh, oh, listeners, if you have any thoughts about this, let us know. If you have any other, I don't know, I think this idea of, like, foreign, foreign films that aren't quite unlocked, watching mm. them from an Australian perspective is interesting. If you've had this experience with any, so we'd love to, any other films like this, we'd love to hear about it. I should ask my buddy from work about it. 
my, yeah, my, my right, Russian yeah, friend from work. Him, yeah, make him watch this two and a half hour long depressing <laughs> yeah. ass movie about how yeah. his his culture is crumbling. He might have seen it. Um, I don't know, if you it also feels a bit like if I were in Russia <laughs> working and someone was like, "Have you seen Crocodile Dundee?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts about Leviathan. Let us know if you have any suggestions for films you'd like us to cover. This was was a listener suggestion by yeah. Fiona. So Fiona, we hope you made it this far. Fiona. Sorry, sorry to rag all over this film. Um, I think we said good things about we it. We said good stuff. We liked it, but in a of. weird dour way <laughs> that you've got to spend time with and uncover and. Yeah. really think about it in order to really get at what we were saying. I made three biblical allusions in this episode that you're not going to get without yeah. listening to the episode another 50 times. So go back and do <laughs> yeah. your homework. Um, yeah, if you'd like to get in contact with, contact with us, our email address is in the description of the podcast as always. It's beefstationpod at gmail.com. Yep. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beefstationpod. Um, and let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to cover. Share the podcast with your friends. Tell yeah. them. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later.